Well, good morning. If you've got your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Mark chapter 1, and we'll be looking at verses 14 through 20 here in just a second. Uh, But I want to ask you this question. If you were to have a book written about you, what would be the words of it? Maybe you've kind of thought about this, and maybe you wondered what you would put in there, uh, but how many of you like reading a uh, biography or a bibliography or watching a docu-series on Netflix or something along those lines, just to kind of find out how these things unfolded and what really took place? But when you think about it, at the end of your life, if you were to come together with a team of writers, what would be the things that you would want to portray the most? Maybe it was your relationship with your spouse. Maybe it was your relationship with your kids. For some, it may be the accomplishments that you've had at work or your job. For some, it may be the the failures that you've gotten through that maybe the Lord has helped you through. Maybe you've been super successful in business or super successful in many different areas. What would be the thing that they would write about you? Sometimes when we come to the conclusion of what those words may be or what they should be, do they include how you lived for Christ? One of the things that's interesting is we look at this book in Mark chapter 1, we see some interesting things kind of unfolding. But realize as we look through the book of Mark over the next year, the reality is that there's four gospels that tell simply the life that Jesus lived for three and a half years. Imagine that four books capture just about everything that unfolded, and this thing was from place to place to place, miracle after miracle, incredible event, incredible event, continually. When you think about that, where does your life measure up in the midst of this? And so I love where Mark begins this passage of scripture because his starting point is kind of an assumed knowledge claim. In Mark chapter one and verse 14, he says, now after John was arrested. Now listen, that shouldn't be taken lightly, right? Like this is one of those moments where Mark the writer probably should have portrayed a little bit more about John. Because you think, man, I just read in the early parts that John had baptized Jesus just a month and a half, two months ago. Where did it all go wrong? And so let me ask you this question. If you were going to be arrested, what would it be for? Now, for me, it's easy. If you mess with my daughters or you mess with me, then I will happily go to jail for that. Amen, dad of daughters? Now, when you think about this, but, or excessive speeding, okay, that would be one of those things where I would get pulled over and they'd go, Jeff, you're going to jail for speeding too fast. And I'd go, you're right. Go ahead and lock me up. Go ahead and put me away. It's crazy when we think about what John may have gone to prison or what he was arrested for. In Mark chapter six, he carries this out a little bit further and gives a little bit more clarity. And so I won't deal with this much, but the reality is that John didn't fall off the wagon and John didn't go do something horribly wrong. John was arrested for condemning the king's marriage to his wife, Herodias, as illegal because she had previously been married to his brother, Philip. And listen, this is what he was arrested for. And so when you read over that passage of scripture, you don't just key in on it and go, oh, John was arrested. Everybody knew John was arrested. Why didn't I know John was arrested? Now you know why John was arrested. Understand that this verse continues in, verse, in chapter, four, or chapter one, verse 14, kind of the second part of this. 
He says, now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee. Now understand the context of the place of where he was coming into was a place that he had grown up, a place that he had lived in, a place that he would be very well known. Listen to what changes. Because imagine that they knew who Jesus was, but they may have not seen him since the temptation, since he was baptized by John the Baptist. And he comes in with a very clear message where he says, proclaiming the gospel of God. Now realize, Jesus had probably pointed people towards uh, God before this, but this was a clear change in Jesus's life. Up to this point, he was a carpenter. He was somebody that fulfilled a, a work life, fulfilled a life within his household. And now everybody was seeing him begin to step into ministry. What was that ministry? What would he begin to say in verse, the second part of this? He says, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying this, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Now imagine this because Jesus comes back and he goes, hey, it's time. This is the time. This is when everything is getting ready to unfold. This is the time. Pay attention. Have you ever had a teacher that would just kind of stop and say, Pay attention to this. This is what Jesus is saying. Be ready for what's getting ready to take place. Then he tells them two words, two understandings that go with this. The first is he tells them repent. Now listen, to understand what repent means, this is to completely turn away. So Jesus kind of keys in on this and he says, listen, if you were living an evil life up to this point, Stop. If you were living for yourself, if you were living to please you, you have to stop. Now, maybe you've been in these moments where somebody has told you, you got to stop doing this. Kids, have you ever continually left something that your parents had to pick up? How many of your parents go, I am so glad you left that. I just wanted to see you one more time today. They go, you got to stop leaving that. This is your responsibility. Take ownership of it. Jesus is laying this framework and foundation to say, pay attention to what comes next. Repent. Make sure that your heart is right. Make sure that you are in the position that you need to be in. And then he says, believe in the gospel. The good news, the message that's going to come, believe in what's going to be said. Pay attention. So Jesus announces his ministry as a beginning point. He announces what is going to be different about what he's going to say. And I love how the transition begins to take place because the message is very clear years later what he wanted to accomplish. But it's interesting because the team that he put together, now I ask you, if you were getting ready to start a job or you were getting ready to put together a sports team or you were getting ready to put together a team that was getting ready to completely change the world, where would you start? Now, let me think about it in terms of basketball, okay? I love this game. I love this sport. I don't watch as much as I used to anymore, 
But how many of you have your own dream team of who you would put together? How many of you, I'm on it? I had dreams of going to the NBA, but apparently I'm 5'10 and I can't shoot well. So all those dreams are kind of over. So let me kind of share with you what my dream team would look like, okay? A little round of applause, no booze, please. At point guard, the greatest point guard to ever live, Magic Johnson. No cheers. Really? Have you ever seen him play? Man, this guy can make pass after pass. He plays defense really well. This would be my point guard. Now, the next one is probably a little bit easier to assume, but the next one at shooting guard, Michael Jordan. Tough crowd this morning. One of the greatest players to ever live. Just one of those guys that's clutch in the moment. This would be my guy that I would build the whole team around. How many of you are with me? Larry Bird. From French Lick, Indiana. The guy that can shoot, my favorite thing that Larry Bird ever did was he passed it off of somebody's back, grabbed the ball, and shot it. Man, this, this is my guy. This is the one that I had posters of in my room. I had a little Larry Bird doll. I don't know where I got it, but he just appeared on my bed. I took him to college with me. You don't go anywhere without Larry. At power forward, one of the greatest specimens of basketball to ever be, LeBron James. <laughs> haters, haters. And then holding it down at center, the undisputed Shaquille O'Neal. The, <laughs> really? Not LeBron, Shaquille? I got it. So when you think about this, this would kind of be the team that I would put together. And listen, nobody would beat me, right? As I was coaching these individuals on my limited knowledge of basketball. But have you ever looked at what the worst starting five in NBA history is? Now, I'm not even going to mention their names because they're not important. But in 2011, 2012, the Charlotte Bobcats Average loss was by 14 points. Imagine that an NBA season, when you go to book your tickets, you go, hey, don't go see them. <laughs> it's going to be a blowout. They went 7 and 59. That's seven wins and 59 losses. The only thing good about the 2011-2012 season is that they went on strike and they cut the season short. And I can imagine that the Bobcats were like, yes, we're done. But it's interesting because we see that Jesus builds a team. Later, they would be called disciples. He builds this team of individuals that will be these people that carry the gospel message for years to come. They will be the ones. And so, listen, as I would be thinking about putting together, I'd go, man, that guy's really strong in his faith. He's very good in how he speaks. He can accomplish this. He can do all kinds of things. 
I want you to understand, Jesus called ordinary people, just like us. In Mark chapter 1 and verse 16 and 17, he says, passing alongside the Sea of Galilee. Now listen, if you've never been to Israel, this is a beautiful place. And that Jesus is walking by this sea. He saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. He looks out and he may have known the individuals that were out there and he sees them fishing. Now, to understand a fisherman, this isn't like the, 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 the hobby that we have where your reel does all the work these days. This was a grown man throwing a 20-foot net that was weighted down with rocks and steel to get to the bottom of the sea and then pulled up, not by a crane, not by hydros, by an individual to catch fish. When you think about these were hard labor guys, These were the guys that you looked at and said, don't mess with that dude, he fishes. They were strong individuals. They were in this thriving industry. A couple of things to kind of keep in mind with this is that most of the dietary thing in this area was not chicken or steak or beef or any of those things. It was fish. And so they were constantly needing fish, constantly fishing. This would have been a very lucrative business for them to be in. It was also one of those industries that probably provided really well for their family and was passed down from generation to generation. And this is who Jesus approaches. Anybody ever seen Deadliest Catch? Man, if you haven't, you're missing out. This is one of my favorite shows because these guys are so tough out on the Bering Sea, continually being tossed I mean, just continually over just to catch crab. These are the individuals, the toughest of the tough. Listen to what Jesus says to them. He says, passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea for they were fishermen. And listen to what he said. And Jesus said to them, follow me. And I will make you fishers of men. Wait a minute. Jesus' call to them is this. Hey, come follow me. Imagine a fisherman leaving his craft, leaving his trade, leaving his industry to follow Jesus. Now, I want you to try this at work tomorrow. Go up to the most random stranger or the new person at work and say, hey, follow me. And just see if they do. Most of them are going to go, no, 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 I'm working. I'm busy. I'm not. What? Am I supposed to? Are you my boss? But imagine Jesus went to fishermen and said, follow me. Realize this is a really uncommon way to build a team. From a religious perspective, for the rabbis and the Levitical priesthood and the individuals, they didn't even have to do a test. Jesus didn't come to them and say, hey, follow me. If you know these things about the Torah, then you you can follow me for the rest of your life. He didn't give them a prerequisite, a test, a, a qualifier, if you will. He just said simply, follow me. Me. 
And then he gave him an even worse task. He said, listen, I know that you've caught a lot of fish, but we're going to catch people. Now, can you, I'm a little bit of a literalist. So when you tell me something like this, I'm like, sweet. What kind of net are we using? Do we catch them as they're wandering? Do we catch, what do we do? But imagine Jesus told them, I will make you fishers of men. Now, if you're like me, you're a little confused on how this approach went, but you may know the rest of the story. The call was to serve. Hey, I know that you're going to work. I know that you've done a lot of these things, but the reality is I want you to go forward, go forth and help me with my ministry. And I love what their response was. They left their nets and followed him. And I love what he says, and immediately they left their nets and followed him. Imagine, this was their response. Look, the reality is that each and every one of us are being posed with this same question this morning. Will you follow me? What will your response be? I love what he continues with, and he says, and going on a little bit farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, and they were in the boat mending their nets. Now, they were getting ready to go fishing. They were preparing their nets, putting things together, making sure that there were no large holes that fish could slip through. They were making sure and being prepared for what was going to take place. I love what their response was. He said, they were in their boats mending nets and immediately he called them and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. Now imagine, Jesus says, hey, follow me. And I don't know about you, but anybody ever done a project with their dad? Have you ever left him in the middle of it and lived to tell the tale? Hey, get back here, boy. We ain't done. But imagine they left their father with the servants in the middle of the, 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 the sea and saying, hey, we're done. We're going to follow Jesus now. Can you imagine the dad going, hey, I ain't doing all this by myself. Get back here. Help me out. Make sure that we can accomplish this. I love that their response was immediately they went. But realize what they left. They left their family business. They left their livelihood. They left the comfort of everything that they had known to follow Jesus. The reality is that on a bad day of work or on a bad day of fishing, we can see why they may leave this industry. Reality is, It doesn't say, hey, they weren't catching fish, so they followed Jesus. So I ask you this morning, would you follow Christ? If the moment was shifted and you were at your place of employment or you were at your home or you were in your yard or you were in a place and even better, if you were in church this morning and Jesus said, hey, I want you to follow me, Would you? Now, this looks like a couple of different things. 
For some that don't know who Jesus is, this is placing your faith and trust in Christ. That's the beginning point of this. This means that Jesus is calling each and every one of us to be his followers. For some that may be a part of the religious faith and have been Christians for many years, for you it looks like this. It looks like taking a step of faith and living for Christ. So this morning, that appeal to you is here. Will you follow Christ? Now, the first thing that I want to encourage you with is this. You are ordinary. Now, for some, that may be a step up from what you really thought of yourself. But the reality is this. You are an ordinary person. If you're here, at least you can consider yourself ordinary. We all have the ability to follow Jesus. But I think many times we would be in that boat and we would be saying, hey, Jesus, you got to give me a clear path of what's going on. As I was studying this, I was looking and saying, if Jeff Hubbard were in that boat and Jesus said, hey, come follow me, here's my questions. Where are we going? What are we going to do when we get there? Hey, where are we going to sleep? Hey, what's for dinner? How, how long is this going to take? Because I don't want to make, I want to make sure that my fishing and industry and my family and everything is taken care of. Anybody with me? Jesus is simply saying, follow me. He says, immediately, they left everything. But I think in this moment, we can kind of reveal that maybe we're making a ton of excuses as to why we're not following Christ. For some, it may be, eh, it's kind of antiquated. I don't really like this. It doesn't really line up with what I want to do. For some, it may cost too much just to simply live your life for Christ. For some, the consideration is that, man, I'm really too old to change anything about the way that I do things. Why would I change now? The reality is this, that same call that Jesus gave towards those disciples is being asked of everyone that hears this message this morning. Second thing that we have to understand is what does this look like? How do we accomplish this? How do we do this? Starts with a simple step of faith. One step. For those of you that are not believers that have never placed your faith and trust in Christ, that first step for you this morning is simply to trust the Lord. Romans 10, 9 says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth and believe in thy heart that God hath raised you from the dead, you will be saved. That's the step. But for the majority of those that are probably in this room, you've been posed with this question for many years and many times of what can I do to follow Christ? And you've made every excuse in the book And you've given a partial effort. See, imagine this conversation went like this. 
Imagine that when Andrew and James were called, they go, all right, Jesus, listen, I will follow you from eight to noon. But from one o'clock on, the fish bite. So I'm going to make sure that I'm going to be able to accomplish two things on this. And then from five o'clock on is family time. We need to eat dinner together as a family. We've got soccer practice here and we've got this going on and we've got this going on. And so I, listen, Jesus, I'll follow you from eight to noon, but that's all you get. If we're honest, that's our approach to Jesus's call upon our life right now. Hey, I'll give you a couple hours, but if it's gonna cost too much, I'm out. The reality is that the results for us doing that is why the churches are in the state that they're in right now. We've given a partial effort, a partial follow me, a partial, man, I can do this partially. But I want you to understand the results were completely different Fast forward to five years later after Jesus Christ was dead on the cross, everything was moving forward and we come to Acts chapter four and verse 13 to give context to what's taking place within this passage of scripture. There's two individuals, Peter and John, and they had gone into a place and they were telling everybody about who Jesus Christ is. And so they arrested them and they said, listen, we're going to beat you. You have to stop telling people about who Jesus is. The religious leaders questioned them over and over and said, you have to stop this. We pick this up in Acts chapter 14 and verse 13. He says, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, Listen to this. They were strong in their faith. They could not stop them from telling others about Christ. He said, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, normal people, nothing special, rough Fishermen, not well-trained rabbis studying under priests. They were ordinary, uneducated men. He says they were astonished. Listen to what he says next. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Listen, I don't know about you, but that's the recognition that I desire. That, that he's been with Christ. So let me close with uh, uh, our response to this, how this should look. How should we respond to this? When somebody preaches this message, when I see this passage of scripture, how should I respond to this? The first is this. Quit thinking that God can't use you. Look, I don't know what it is within the Christian community, but we love to beat ourselves up and say, poor me, there's nothing that God can do with my life. Can I tell you, you're not farther from the truth when you say that. 
If God can use a bunch of rough fishermen to tell the whole world about Jesus, imagine what he can do with you. God can use you in many ways if you will submit to him and seek his will for your life. But the reality is the reason that most of us are not fulfilling this is because we've stopped answering the call. Now, how many of you love when you get that phrase on your phone that says potential spam? How many of you go, yes, for the seventh time today, I was expecting your call. Yes, I want to sell my house. Yes, I want to renew my car insurance from car five years ago that I don't even own anymore. Yes, I, anybody? Can I tell you what's happened? We've placed the call of Jesus in the spam pile. When it comes to something of greatest importance, we ignore the text. And it's still just saying two words, follow me. Hey, Jeff, follow me. Hey, Jeff, follow me. I'm hitting delete, decline, whatever things you can do to those numbers now. We've blocked it. It's interesting that as you read throughout Scripture, not one time does God tell somebody that seeks him to go away? You're the one case that God can't use. Listen, one of Satan's biggest lies to each and every one of us is this. Do you know what your past is? There's no way that God can use you. Romans chapter 5 verse 20 says, my grace is more sufficient than your sin. It doesn't say that if you've done this sin or you've done this sin or you've done these things, then I can't forgive you. God says, my grace is more sufficient than your sin. So I ask you, why do you think in your mind that God can't use you to tell others about Christ. The second response is this. Quit discounting others that God can use. One of the things that takes place in, in, in church culture many times is we look at a, a group of people that we feel like is unreachable and we don't even try. And so we've taken a little bit of a targeted approach of trying to reach somebody that's kind of religious and maybe kind of loosely associated or just disgruntled at another church. And listen, can I tell you, nowhere in scripture does it tell us that that's our approach. When you see somebody, you should see somebody like Christ does. Quit discounting people that don't look like you, that don't act like you, that don't do the things that you do because those people need Jesus. 
I would tell you this morning, we need to stop reaching the semi-religious and start reaching the lost. The people that need to know this. And listen, I tell you from a, a, an honest perspective, how dare you think that God can't change somebody else when he's done it for you? Look, we've all been in positions that we need Christ. So let me close with this. If you've sat under my voice this morning, if you've listened to this passage of scripture in Mark, Jesus is calling you this morning. So I ask you, if a book were written about you, would it tell the tales of the stories of your life? Would it share childhood memories with the person that you were close to and maybe accomplishments at work? Or would it simply say, they followed Christ? Look, the reality for me is I want to be a good husband. I want to be a good father. I want to be a good pastor. But none of that matters if I don't follow Christ. But can you say, well, Jeff, you, you know, this is your paid profession and all these things like that. Listen, I was a follower of Christ way before I was a pastor. And my responsibility is the same as each and every one of you. So my question for you this morning is this. Jesus is calling you to follow him. Will you? Look, whatever excuse came into your mind right there, that is not from the Lord. Whatever pushback that you just pushed back with, that's not God. The overwhelming answer to this question should be yes, I will follow you wherever you want me to go, whatever you want me to do. I think about the end of the disciples' life. I think about all that they got to see in their lifetime. But I also think of all that it cost them. They didn't go back to fishing. They spent the rest of their life sharing the gospel, teaching the people how to live for Christ. I guarantee you, even though that some of them were martyred, if you were to interview them on their way out, none of them would have changed anything about how they live their life. Look, you want a life that has no regrets at the end of it? Live for Christ. If everybody would bow their heads and close their eyes just for a second. 
Whenever you hear a message like this, the direct challenge is very clear. And it forces you to be in a position that you have to respond one way or the other. For some, that response will be, yes, I will follow Jesus with every ounce of my being in whatever direction that he wants me to go, I will go. But for some, that response is gonna be no. The cost is too high, I can't. I tell you this morning, there's really only one answer to this question. It comes with an evaluation. Have I been following Christ the way that I should? Have I been leading my family? Have I been the example of Christ to my workplace? Have I been following Christ properly? Dear Father, I come to you humbled and thankful for your words this morning. Knowing that this question provokes a lot of thought in our hearts. It comes with an evaluation of our life of what we're spending the majority of our time doing. Lord, as your children, as your people that are sitting there thinking through this question, my prayer for them is that they would follow you with every ounce of their being or that they would learn to live the way that you live, learn to teach the way that you did, learn to love others the way that you did, and continually share your good news, your gospel message with everybody that they come in contact with. Father, every person in this room has the ability, God-given ability and the God-given call on their life to live for you. Father, may we not live a defeated Christian life. May we live genuinely victorious. Father, help us to stop looking at people and saying they will never know Christ and simply share your message with them. Father, may you be glorified in our response to follow you this morning. In Christ's precious and holy name we pray, amen everybody would stand as we sing a verse of invitation this altar is open to you maybe the, the, the message and maybe the words of Mark are cutting to the core of who you are listen respond in the proper way follow him with everything that you are maybe you've been partially following maybe you've been partially committed maybe you don't know who Jesus Christ is this morning respond to him this morning and begin to follow him